Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Off the Beat and Track Podcast. I hope you're all doing well. It's another week, it's another episode. And I have a smashing episode for you. Today's guest, it's Eddie Temple Morris. So I first, I first met Eddie years ago. He came to DJ for us, and uh, and then uh, he he's he's a good friend of Scroobs. So I, I reconnected with him when he came to DJ for for Pip and I. Then I heard Eddie on the Distraction Pieces podcast, and, and he was so wonderfully open. Um, about um, his his mental health and 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 you know that his life, and it was it was it was it was lovely to hear, and and so we we reached out to him, and he he come and guested on the Hardcore Listing podcast, which was which was lovely, and and since then, Eddie's DJed lots for us, and we've we've become friends, and so it was lovely to to and, and what I should say as well before I reached out to him to do. Uh, off the beaten track, I discovered Trailblazers, the podcast he does with Nick Hawks, um, and it's a it's a it's a wonderful music podcast uh, where they're compiling basically a history of electronic music um, via interviewing all of those responsible for for landmark moments in electronic music. It's, it's a wonderful podcast, and I, I highly recommend it. Um, but before we get on with today's episode, I'm going to do a big thanks to 76 for producing this. Um, thanks to my name is Ad for doing the artwork. Um, thanks to Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Save Our Souls Clothing. And who else do I need to thank? I think that's it. Just another quickie. Um, go and check out podbiblemag.com because podbiblemag is the new essential guide to podcasts. So go over there and find out about all the podcasts you like, all the podcasts you don't know about yet. And uh, and it's a one-stop shop. So go and give that a listen. Um, and also I have a Patreon page. So if you go over there, I release another episode purely for Patreons every week over there. And, and there's T-shirts available as well. So where can I find all of this? Let me tell you. www off the beat and track podcast.com so go over there and that's got everything you need to know about all the bits and pieces that happen in and around this podcast thank you ever so much for putting up with the intros i know that's the boring bit so let's get to the good bit it's off the beat and track podcast with mr eddie temple morris 
I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in Southend-on-Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk official sponsors of Off The Beaten Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beaten Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whiffin. Right, it is a Tuesday afternoon. We are at the WeWork buildings in, in London. Thank you very much to um, our friend Ben Berlin for letting us have this this nice little space and when I set this podcast up one of the the people that guested on uh, my other podcast I got listening was someone that I was adamant I was going to get on to this um, because on, on the previous podcast we couldn't really chat music and if I'm going to chat music then it's going to be a pleasure to sit down and chat music with Mr. Eddie Temple Morris. <laughs> well, always a pleasure to chat to you, Stu, and, that's, and especially about music. And yeah, what a, what a beautiful Tuesday to do this. It's all right. The sun's shining. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unseasonably mild and, and lovely. Thank you, global warming, actually. That's, I shouldn't <laughs> laugh about that. It's a fucking catastrophe. But, uh, but you know, there's, there, there are positives to everything. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well... As ever, we start this podcast with the first track. And the first track I'm going to ask you for, Eddie, is the song that you regard as having the greatest intro. Oh, yeah. Right. So this would be, uh, this would be The Human League. Um, this would be uh, Don't You Want Me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, gosh, yeah, I, this, this would take me back to the art centre of Malvern College, where I was between... O levels and A levels, and um, in doing art and history of art there, and uh, this album was just like on repeat all the time, and I still have the vinyl of it, 
and dare, yeah, dare, of course, yeah, and it and it brings us to a really interesting thing, which I always harp on about, which I might have even harped on about with you, which is Sheffield, mm -hmm. which is that Sheffield punches way, way, way above its weight. It is pound for pound, and I've really thought about this, the greatest musical city in the UK. I'm sorry, all you other cities, and I know that like, everyone's proud of where they come from, mm -hmm. but if you look at it per capita, just do the maths before you go, oh, Manchester, greatest, yeah. or London's great. No, 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 no. Because if you, if you do the maths properly. I'm doing it as I'm looking at right, you. So, I'm doing it now. So, so well, let, me, let me help you out. Because, um, like I said, I've really thought about well, this, and I know the stats. Before you say one of them, I believe they feature later as well. Oh yeah, there's there's another Sheffield band. Yeah, yeah so we're, we're going to yeah. have yeah exactly. Which, well, I mean, there's I mean, if you want more proof, there it is. But population of Sheffield, as per the last census, census okay. was five hundred and eighteen thousand. Right. Population of so and how many life changing bands can you think of from Sheffield? Right. We could just list. We could just bang 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 list yep. ten now. You know, from from uh, from uh, like. The uh, Human League and Heaven Seventeen and um, Pulp and and Pulp Arctic and, Monkeys, and, and, Richard and, Hawley, all the, the way through, yeah, the Long Pigs, exactly. And we've we've forgotten Def Leppard, yeah. and and ABC. I mean, do you know what I mean? You was can Fish go on from Marillion from Sheffield. No, he was a Geordie. Was he, he a Geordie? Geordie. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was, but he wouldn't be life changing. Years but. ago, <laughs> I, I, we we played the Ballwalk. My, my band played the, well, under the Ballwalk. And it had a massive montage of all of the people from all the musicians from Sheffield painted on the wall. Yeah. And I'm just trying to think there was a really tall rock. It must have been Def Leppard, not Fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's probably Joe Elliott. Exactly the yeah. same, same mullet. Um, but <laughs> so, so then you go, you, you just track uh, east a little bit to yeah. Leeds. 780,000 people in Leeds, according to the last yeah. census, 2018. And how many life-changing bands can you think of from Leeds? I'm struggling. You'd be struggling, right? Yeah. Sisters of Mercy, maybe? Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm sorry, Leeds. I love you. I absolutely yeah. love Leeds. I love DJing there. Yeah. Um, I, I, Utah Saints are among the nicest people on planet mm -hmm. Earth. And, but even they would say they're not, you know, they're not in that human yeah. league kind of category. Yeah. So uh, there's something about it. Mm. Like, it, it's, it's incredible, at Sheffield. So, you know, I've, I've kind of worked that out just through... Just through my career, I've just always, always come back to Sheffield. Mm. Like you say, Long Pigs, Richard Hawley, you know, Pulp. And, but there's a link between all three of them, right? Um, there's a, well, there's, a, there's certainly a link between Long Pigs and Richard Hawley, because Richard was the guitarist in Long Pigs when I first saw them in a pub yeah. in London, in, in King's Cross. I supported them twice, both in Chelmsford when Hawley was in it, and it was just when they put out Jesus Christ, yeah. like, which I think might have been the first single. And then when I supported them the second time, they just released on and on. And there was a marked difference between the crads at the first one and then all of a sudden on and on dropped, which is a beautiful record. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes and it takes that acoustic ballad one yeah, to, to break through. Absolutely. Like, like there's, a, there's a, a similarity between that and the stereophonics traffic. Like nobody gave a flying kazoo about yeah about stereophonics. we can swear on this podcast eh? oh great okay right so nobody gave a sh nobody gave a fuck about the stereophonics yeah um except for me actually yeah. right at the beginning well, you know and 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 they broke through after i made traffic my plate that's great on yeah. mtv and at that point qu quote from steve lamac sorry we've gone completely off doesn't matter the this is quote, what it's a podcast about quote from steve lamac they will they're they've got no songs the lead singer's got no charisma and they will never get past the monarch. That's a direct quote. 
From Steve Lamac. From Steve Lamac to Island Records to, to, to Neil, the, his plug, the plugger from Island Records, who, who fed that back to me. And uh, and then after I after I broke them on MTV that year, he asked them to play their uh, the, the, evening evening, the evening session Christmas party. <laughs> and I went, and the Stereophonics uh, invited me to that. So I went to the BBC Made Mail Studios to see that happen. So because I have this this story in my head that. Am I right in saying, because they were one of the first bands signed to V2, weren't they? Yeah. Now, I heard that when they first went on, it was like a relentless trip. It was something like 300 gigs in a year or something like that, that the agent was covering the costs of that and just getting venues to put them on for their, this, this first tour, just to yeah. get them out there and expose them. Yeah, so and, they they yeah. played in South End and... and they were bigger than the Monarch. They 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 were great live at that point as well. I've not I've not seen them for years, but Tramps Fest and um, Thousand Trees and Local yeah, and Boy, Local Boy, what yeah. beautiful lyrics as well. Yeah, incredible. Well, heartbreaking, mm. absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. I revisited that album just the other week, and it's a really heartfelt record. Yeah. It's a really special debut album. Yeah. And I don't think you know for for me the Stereophonics have never emotionally connected with me in such a profound way as that first record. I, I totally agree with that. We started off talking about the Human League and Sheffield and we've gone completely <laughs> down the world. We're now in Kamama. We're now in the, in, the, in the South Wales Valleys. <laughs> but, you know, that's my fatherland. There's, I'm, there's, a, there's a strong pull from the valleys to me, you know. Well, well that, that's, that's good then because we, we, we'll get on to the valleys and, and, and growing up now then. So let's, let's move to track two. Um, well, just quickly, I always like to ask, especially like someone like yourself that you know is a producer and has, has DJed and um, like club DJ, not not so much the radio stuff. Um, but regarding that, like how how much how important do you think that intro is as you know as a DJ as a producer when you're either sort of crafting a record or going to play a record? How much you know? How much emphasis do you put on? Right, this has got the intro that's going to. Yeah, you know, like. This song's got to have a beginning and a middle and an end for me. Like yeah. any song, especially in genres like drum and bass. Yeah. But for me, you, you know, just songwriting page one, but one. Yeah. Give it a beginning, give it a middle, give it yeah. an end. And that beginning as a club DJ, it's really important because you've got something that's instantly identifiable yeah. that you can play in a mix on, on the outgoing beats of your last mm. tune and the crowd immediately will respond to it. Yeah. So, you know, the beginning, the, the lovely sort of crystalline synth beginning of that Human League track will, will just make anyone of a certain age yeah. smile straight away. And, and I think some songs, you know, if we, if we look at don't you want me and, and, and things like that? They've they've become bigger than the human league. They're 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 wedding fodder now. Do you know what I mean? You're going <laughs> to yeah. get them at a reception and things like that. But but that shouldn't write them songs off. That's testament to the fact that that's arguably a perfect pop record, isn't it? Yeah. It's it's just lyric. I was I was saying this to somebody the other day on on, on, a, on a podcast, and it's just how these songs like that. Like my, my daughter's 15 and she was sitting in the back of my car the other day and I had, I don't know what the radio station was, but they, they played Somewhere in My Heart by Aztec Camera. Mm. Oh, amazing song. It's, 
It really is, isn't it? Probably virgin. And, uh, <laughs> we hammer that, and I'm so happy that we do. It may well have been. And, um, and she was singing along. And I was like, how, how do you know this record? And because I was probably 14, 15 when it came out. Yeah. And that's a long time ago now. Yeah. And she said, like, I don't know, I just know it. And it's probably the same with the Human League. And but how do these songs, I'm just fascinated by how these songs find their way and people just know these songs word for word. Well, the, one of the things about a really great pop song is that it, it, it's almost, it's familiar before you've even heard it. Sure. So, that melody from yeah. somewhere in my heart it's just so instantly yeah. hummable it's yeah. such a beautiful flow yeah. and and then the 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 lyrics the, the way the lyrics scan with it yeah. is is just is poetry yeah. So, you know, it's absolutely perfect. Actually, they, and we could talk about, like, Scott, you know, there's, there's a, a, a whole list of amazing Scottish songwriters like Roddy Frame oh. that, that do that yeah. scansion and melody yeah. so well. Amazing. So well. There's lots of them as well. There was a, I was, funnily enough, this conversation led on uh, as well to this documentary that was on about Scottish music that the BBC put on maybe sort of three or four months ago. It was absolutely fantastic. Loads of stuff about Postcard. And, but then it also went into Deacon Blue and Wet, Wet, Wet and the Proclaimers and things like that. And some of it was more commercial pop and stuff like that. But it was just a brilliant, like, Claire Grogan, obviously. And there was just so much orange juice. And it was yeah, just yeah, fantastic. Yeah, big Collins, like, yeah. Really, really, yeah, really. Delamitri even, you yeah, know, underrated. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right, well, look, before we get on to track two... I just wanted to, I wanted to mention this before we started recording, but um, I see that you um, put on your social media uh, the other day that you and, you and your son went to watch Tears for Fears. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I had, I had tickets for it in Brighton, but it got cancelled and rescheduled that's last right. year because yes, something right. happened to one of Roland's family, it, it, I believe. It got postponed because Roland was ill. I was Roland, okay. Seriously ill, yeah. Oh, right. And, and then it got rescheduled. Unfortunately, the... The, the day that, that Pip and I released our magazine so we was out and about dishing out yeah. copies so I couldn't go to Brighton to see it my friends went then told me that Alison Moyet supported playing your zoo records as well and I was yes. like oh this is this is hurting there oh because of course because uh, there's an Essex pull for of you course, there because of Vince of course right? like, <laughs> um, but, um, but how, how was Tears for Fears oh magical really really good the story with Tears for Fears is that I absolutely loved that band from when I first heard them on John Peel, yep. I, I heard, um, I think, Pale Shelter yep. on John Peel's show. And I just thought, oh, gosh, this is really different from what everything else that's around. Mm -hmm. And um, I fell in love with them instantly. Uh, Pale and it didn't do anything until it got re-released later. Yeah. And so I loved that band. But I was, I, I was at that time busy like doing my own gigs rather than going to other people's gigs. And, and I was just really hard working, like musician then. And um, I guess hard working and hard playing. <laughs> and I didn't, I never got to see Tears for Fears. And, it, and then my son, who is now 19 years old, my God, uh, I have introduced him to a whole bunch of music. And one of the things that I've introduced, the last thing that I introduced him to that he really, really loved was Tears for Fears. I, I introduced them to him a, a few years ago. What, The Hurting or Big Chair? I, or? I think I, I introduced, well, Big Chair, yeah, I introduced him to Big Chair because um, that's my favourite, mm. uh, really looking back. Yeah. 
and um, he just completely became besotted. I think they're his favourite band now. Yeah. And, um, but I'd never seen them, and then I got a chance to see them, not last Christmas, but the Christmas before last. They played the Royal Albert Hall, and uh, it was absolutely incredible, magical. First time I've ever seen them, and I saw them with Tone, my son. And we were both absolutely, like, yeah. you know, cock-a-hoop, doing backflips about it. We were in a box right and That's a nice moment as well, to be able to share oh, that yeah. with your boy. That's amazing. Yeah, very emotional. It was like, that. you know, it, it, was, it was tearful at points. Yeah. They did this spine-tingling, well, I say they, it was Roland on his own. The band took a break and did this spine-tingling version of Chill, by, of, um, of Creep by Radiohead. And uh, it, it was just incredible. Band are amazing. They, they were incredible. They're such an incredible songwriting, lyric writing, and production outfit, mm. those two. They're, they're, they're amazing. And, yeah. and Roland is one of the most underrated guitar players, yeah. I think, ever. And I had this conversation with, with um, James Dean Bradfield about this, and Nicky Wire says the same thing. They are obsessed with Tears for Fears yeah. with Roland as a guitar player. And, you know, uh, James can just note for note sing yeah. any... Uh, Roland guitar solo in the same way that he can sing a slash one. Yeah. You know, um, it, it's just brilliant. But um, so, yeah, we, we got to see them and then we we were lined up to see them on that tour with yeah. Alf in February that you had, yeah. we, we both had tickets for. But sadly, um, yeah, Roland got seriously uh, struck down with something. I still don't know what. There was a, a shroud of secrecy around him, but all I know was that it was, quote, serious and... Uh, neurological so I take from that what you will but uh, we now know that he's he's okay he's he's I don't know whether he's 100% well Mm. but he's certainly whatever it was uh, there's no evidence of it and he's managing it uh, in a in a in a really good way he seemed like on great form at the O2 yeah and uh, his voice was bang you know right up there gosh he's one of those guys like Robert Smith from The Cure or Bono yeah that both of whom I saw when I was a teenager. Yeah. Both of whom I saw recently as well mm-hmm. uh, with a 30-year gap or whatever. And their voices are exactly yeah. the same. It's weird that you mention, you know, The, 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 the Cure and um, uh, you two. And because they're revered as being, you know, incredible, incredible bands by, by, by people en masse. Whereas Tears for Fears, I think maybe get a little bit overlooked. And, and when you think that they went to America and they, they romped it over there, didn't they? Yeah. Like, I think, I don't know it's much hurting, but Big Chair and, 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 and Seeds of Love were monster albums over yeah, there, weren't they? I think there was probably a time for a number of months, probably, that they were the biggest band in the world. Definitely, definitely. You know, probably around the time when Women in Chains came out. Yeah, or that, yeah. You know, when, when songs on the Big Chair, well, Shout or Everybody yeah. Wants to Rule the World. They were absolutely like like the police one, at one time yeah. were the biggest band in the absolutely. world. I'm sure that Tears for Fears probably yeah. were. Uh, for intros, I probably one of I think if I had to go for the greatest intro of all time, Head Over Heels Take Some Beating. Oh wow, yeah, that's uh, epic. Yeah, lovely melody it's, too. It's yeah. beautiful. It's beautiful. All right, I just wanted to get that chat in really, Eddie. Cause it was like, <laughs> I forgot to mention it before we started. Oh, no, I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm so glad. Yeah, any any opportunity to big up Tears for Fears, I'm I'm you know on it like a cheap suit because. Uh, Brilliant. I I find them so inspiring. Well, let's keep it in the 80s. So, for track two, Eddie, the first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you? Uh, Well, I took that to mean 
that had the most emotional impact rather than an emotional impact. Uh, emotional was in, well, it could be anything. Yeah. Well, struck. well I, what I've gone with is the first band that I fell in love with. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is the first band that I fell in love with to the exclusion of all others. So the first band that I thought, you know what, I would do that nutter uh, fan thing where you just give up everything and follow them around the world. Yeah. Kind of thing. Like an obsession. Yeah. Like, I bought all their records. I obsessed over them in the music press. Cut out every single little thing that was mentioned of them. I pierced my ear in the same place as their singer. I sculpted my hair in the same way as the singer. That's not an I, easy thing. Uh, uh, I, and I bought this, the leather jacket uh, that he wore on the cover of his crossover album. I'm talking about David Sylvian and Japan. And th like they were the band that for me, like, uh, you know, I just completely fell head over heels in love with them in 1978. So 1978-79, kind of time, I guess, yeah, but it would have been about 79. Uh, and it was, it was this kid at school, I say kid, this boy, young man at school who was two years above me. And uh, he was called Andy, Andy Strange. So how old would you have been? So I was 13, 14. So his name's Andy was, Strange? Yeah, yeah, oh, Andy Strange. What a name. Yeah, I know, such the corner, <laughs> there's a good story here, because there's a, there's a real, there's a lovely heartwarming story here. So Andy Strange, was like two years above me. And like when you're 13, two, two years is a really long time. Like the difference between a 13 year old and a 15 year old is just, is massive, mm. it's a lifetime. Um, but, and, and Andy had amazing music taste and we kind of connected like, uh, and I, he turned me on to Japan. And, or he certainly fueled my obsession with them. And, um, and I used to like go into his study because you know, he, he was one of the big boys. Now he had a study. I was like in a dorm and all that sort of stuff at boarding school. And, um, and, and we used to just talk about music and I used to listen to, I used to bother him all the time. Mm. Imagine like me, like ADHD kid, like just going like, oh, let's do that. Let's mm. listen to this, let's listen to that. And, and he just was incredibly patient. Was, was that a thirst for anything or a thirst for music thirst already? Thirst for music, yeah, 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 yeah. I just, I just was so, so into music. And, uh, and so was he. We had this mutual love of, this, of, of Japan and of, uh, so he, his, I, think, I think his aunt might have been married to Bruce Dickinson. Andy, if you're listening to this, and I've got that wrong, forgive me, but there was certainly a, a Bruce Dickinson, a very strong Bruce Dickinson connection, mm -hmm. uh, I remember. And, and he, like, kind of taught me about the new wave of British heavy metal that was happening at the time. Yeah. And I would listen to his, like, Michael Schenker records and, and Scorpions records and, and um, Iron Maiden, of course, yeah. and, and uh, Def Leppard and all of those guys. And, uh, but, of course, then, but, but with... Like, it was weird. Like, we were both really into kind of new, like, heavy metal and, yeah. um, like, that... The, the glam rock side of New Romantic, and that's yeah. where Japan, because when Japan first mm. came on the scene, they were a glam rock band. Yeah, like Quiet Life was two albums away. There was mm. Adolescent Sex, Obscure Alternatives, and I loved them at that. You know, me and Andy loved them at that time. So, this doing this podcast, I've really, really looked forward to seeing you because I love you, and it's such an interesting thing. All the questions that you sent me in advance, 
got me really thinking about school. So last weekend, I'm lying in bed on a Sunday morning and I'm thinking, God, Andy Strange. I was thinking about this very question and this, and this record. And I thought, I wonder what happened to Andy Strange. Because we lost touch. He left, you know, he left and, and, and I got on with my life and he got on with his life, whatever that was. And never seen him since. So I went down a Google wormhole and I couldn't find anything. I, he was missing from the school picture. And I called my mate, Bruce, who, um, who remembers him. And I said, uh, I'm trying to, I want to get hold of Andy Strange just to tell him thank you for being so patient with me and yeah. for inspiring me so much and, I, and for helping me build the building blocks yeah. of my career. And, you know, his selflessness was so, and he was so inspiring. And I just wanted to, I just thought it'd be really nice to find him and just say thank you and yeah. maybe like buy him dinner. I didn't even know yeah. if he's still alive. So then he, and Bruce goes, didn't he used to work at Air Studios? And I was like, what? Really? But George Martin owns that studio. Like I've been there. And, yeah. and he goes, yeah, I'm sure he, I'm sure he worked there. So I, so then I go, thanks, Bruce. That's a great lead. I Google Andy Strange Air Studios. Boom. Interview with the famous engineer, producer, Andy Strange, Shut George up. Martin's, George Martin's assistant. No way. Yeah. So, so then I, I thank you, technology and Google. I found his website within seconds and then there was a phone number on there. I call it. I go, is that Andy Strange? Forgive me for calling you on a Sunday morning uh, and forgive the randomness of this question, but are you the Andy Strange that went to Morven College? He goes, yeah, I am. And I said, I, I just wanted to call you and thank you for my career. <laughs> and he goes, who is this? I went, my name's Eddie Temple Morris. He goes, I know exactly who you are. I listened to your show on XFM. And I've always won, you know, I've always quietly sort of followed, Does, followed did you. Did he know that, that, that the Eddie he was listening to was that... Yeah, from. yeah, yeah, That's he amazing. did. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and, and I'm having, I'm buying him dinner to say thank you after this. Oh, that's so that's fantastic. The, like, the wheel turning full circle. And, and my heart is full of joy. I, I cannot wait to see him. And my God, the stories he must have. Because he's worked with everyone from Michael Jackson to whoever. You probably name it and he's yeah. worked with them. And, uh, and God, he was air, you know, yeah. at the air studios in Hampstead, in the church, yeah. where I saw the Black Crows. Uh, an incredible place, and and gosh, you know, he's this. He was the assistant to, you know, arguably the greatest producer that's ever lived. Yeah. So, uh, how wonderful that I'm going to that I've reconnected with him because of this podcast. Oh, how fantastic! That's <laughs> absolutely amazing. <laughs> but, but yeah, back to Japan. Like, so yeah, go on. So you would have been, so you used uh, thirteen when quite like yeah thirteen fourteen when I first got into Japan I was fourteen. So was it and quiet then, life or was then, it you listening to the stuff pre that? And then 15, like, because 14, it was adolescent sex. Yeah. 14, 15 is adolescent sex, obscure alternatives. Mm -hmm. And then, and they were supporting Blue Oyster Cult and getting bottled off stage. Yeah. And then suddenly they, like, found this new sound and they kind of um, slightly marginalized their guitar player and put the focus on the synths, on Richard, on the synths. And on Mick on the bass and, and um, you know, David's uh, very distinctive vocal and, and really kind of went in on that whole new romantic look yeah. and nailed it. I mean, the cover, of, the cover of Quiet Life is probably the most iconic 
new romantic image. Yeah. That red leather jacket, he's shielding his face from the light. He's got this beautiful, like Marilyn Monroe yeah. peroxided blonde hair and all this makeup yeah. and these cheekbones that you could, like, you know, cut paper with. And, um, yeah, he was incredible. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And, and still is, you know. But, um, yeah, God, I, I love that band so, so, so much. And I ended up, you know, going... So, yeah, that was, that was the record. It was Quiet Life that made me think, oh, God, this is like, this is, this is it. Yeah. Like, this is absolutely it. And I could have, I would have done anything for them. I ended up, me and my best mate, going to man driving in my mum's car. I had to take, I had to borrow my mum's car, or maybe even nick it while she was away, um, and go, go to Manchester Academy or whatever it's called. Man- Manchester Apollo. Yeah. Don't know what it's called now. Probably Manchester Academy. Yeah. And, uh, and watch Japan, you know, after they broke kind of thing. Yeah. And it was like, I was giddy afterwards. So, so you nicked your mum's car, so, <laughs> and then drove to Manchester. So where, where, where was you born? Because you mentioned the valleys earlier, so. Where was what? Where was you born? Oh, I was born in Cardiff. Right, okay. So was you in Cardiff then at this point, or? No, I was in Malvern. Right, I was, okay. uh, my, my father, um thought it would be good for me to stick me uh, into a essentially massive rape shed uh, and um, ha- and have me fend for myself in this uh, horrendous, horrendous place where I was horrifically uh, treated by, um, well, certainly one of my uh, contemporaries and, um, and by my so-called housemaster, this person at boarding school who's supposed to prepare you for life and actually never has been in life. Yeah. You know, he was at prep school and then public school and then uh, the Royal Engineers and then a teacher and like he'd never, ever been in life. He literally thought I was the Antichrist. Yeah. And so just used to uh, treat me in the most abusive way and made my, you know, the, the years that are supposed to be the happiest of your life were horrible. Yeah. Uh, horrible. Um, and, and actually, Andy was... The best thing, I think, about school... I had a few good mates, um, you know, Pete and Bruce and, 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 and a couple of others that were, that were really close to me. But um, I, when I look back on, on Malden College, you know, I, I, I look back at, um, at those years I spent, like, just chatting to Andy about music and being really inspired as the absolute best thing that I learned there. You know, sold all the, ed- all the books. Yeah. Actually, so I, I never read one. <laughs> I got four A-levels without reading a book, but then put <laughs> into ADHD. <laughs> Hello. I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the reg. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search off the beat and track podcast and you can listen to all the songs because i've put playlists up for each of these if you can't find it on there i'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode so you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks anyway i'll shut up get back to the podcast see you on the other side for track three if the song reminds you of your your days at school so let's continue the, the school conversation but yeah like, if you want to shout your tune that you've chosen for this then we can yeah well so this comes with a story as well so back in those days do you remember those transfer things that you used to it's like a piece of wax paper with the alphabet on it yeah in very dark black lettering yeah big a little a big b little b etc a to z peel the, the grease proof paper off wouldn't you and then then you'd have to transfer it with a, your fingernail or with yeah. a coin or with a pencil yeah. so i could only put my name which was at that time ed on two records because i had a big e and a little and a big d <laughs> a big e and a little e and a big d and a little d so my Big E and D went on t- replicas by Tubeway Army. So you could take it. And the other one went on, I think it was Live and Dangerous um, by Thin Lizzy. But um, my absolute favorite record at that time was, uh, was that Tubeway Army, that Gary Newman record. Well, before it was Gary Newman, before he was Gary Newman, really, when he was, you know, d- putting on this persona. And uh, when I heard that, I just thought, wow, this is, this is incredible. This is like since it was, it was around the, t- I guess it was when, when Japan were, were kind of finding themselves as a yeah. new romantic band, um, when, when they were still a glam rock band, Gary was like, he introduced synths really to me. And, and, Heavy synths as well. Yeah. Well, you know, because that was going to be a punk record. Mm. And he went in there and discovered this Moog synthesizer and just, you know, made this noise. Yeah. And, it, and he just was like, guys, we've got we yeah. to can this album and start, yeah. start from scratch with this. This yeah. is the future right here. Yeah. And he then he wrote, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, he's, and he, then, he's a friend, isn't he, as well now? Well, so I guess, well, then the story, then the story continues to... Um, to when I was on XFM and uh, a, 
uh, an email came around from from Newman's plugger saying he want, we will make himself available for for a few key shows that he likes. Um, please put in your uh, your your requests and I'll do the best I can. I certainly can't accommodate all of you, but he will do a few ones that he wants to do. Uh, so send us your proposals. So I, at my proposal was the story that I just told you about the transfer. Yeah. And a week later or a few days later, I get this email back saying, um, I gave Gary the, your proposal and he was very t- moved by it. He was very touched. And he has listened to your show. He knows who you are and he really likes, he likes your show. And he wants to, he said, yeah, he wants to come and co-host your show. So at that point, I like, you know, poo probably shot out yeah. of my anus. Um, and because like, that's one of the men that made me the man I am. Like, yeah. you know, that's like him and David Sylvian and a couple of others. Andy you know, well, Yeah, well, yeah. But I mean, Andy was my, was my mate, you know. Well, I was in awe of Andy. You know, he was, he, he was this, this, elder boy that I was in awe of, but these were my idols. You yeah. know, these are the guys whose, whose pictures were on my wall. So the prospect of Gary, of meeting Gary was, well, I didn't sleep. I, I, you know, I get, especially at that time in my life, I was not sleeping very well. And I was certainly very affected by uh, stress and anxiety. And um, the prospect of meeting Gary, and I read lots of interviews with him and he, he could be, difficult in mm-hmm. interviews uh, and I knew that he had Asperger's syndrome and didn't mm-hmm. like to look people in the eye and stuff like that so you know th- there was there were lots of things there that that could potentially uh, be uh, an- anxious and, and also there's the old that old adage, adage never meet your heroes of you know course. that was echoing I just got what what if I don't like Gary Newman that yeah. would just destroy me um you know what if he turns out to be like like I don't know, certainly not a hero, but, you know, just think, thinking back to when I met Marty Pello and he was like the most, you mentioned wet, wet, wet earlier, you know, the most abusive and, and, and horrendous and vile man that I've ever yeah. met in my life. You know, you, you know what, and what if this rock star was the, behaved the yeah. same as that pop star? Mm. Um, so I didn't sleep and, I, and I, I spent the whole night kind of second guessing what he might choose because we were doing a sound clash format one-on-one. So I had a, basically a, a load of records that I wanted to play for him and to get his take on, new and old, by him and by other people, people that I thought he would like. How incredible. And I had this, uh, it was incredible. So, I, so, so he turns up and I, and I had this ace up my sleeve, which was this like my, my trump card. I just thought if, if things don't go well, I can always just... I, I will play this at some time. It's it's one of my favourite remixes that's ever been done, and it's a it's uh, from David Bowie's kind of misunderstood period, nineties period. It's called Heart's Filthy Lesson, and it's labelled as the alt mix. But if you look in the uh, in the in the small in the sleeve notes, as we always do, it was the alt mix was by Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails. Right. So, and he's a, another hero of mine. So. And I know that he was a, a, a friend of Gary's and mm. I knew that and, and a big influence on him. So I just thought, well, I'm, I just, I'll put, I'll pull this out of my, yeah. if, if it goes badly, I'll pull this rabbit out of the hat yeah. and everything will be all right, at least for the duration of yeah. while we're talking about that. So the punchline is he, he comes to the, you know, and we, we do the show, we get on really well. Mm. And then there's this moment where I said to him, look, I, I said I, I didn't really sleep last night. I was really trepidatious about meeting you. But I got this, I've got this like one 
you know, like ace in the hole that I wanted to play for you. And he said, he said, oh, that's funny. I've got a, I've got a CD that I, of stuff that I thought that you would like with three songs on it. And uh, a similar thing. I just thought if not, things aren't going well, I sure, you're surely you're going to like these ones because I kind of know your vibe. And I said, I'll go on then. You show me yours and I'll show you mine. And we yeah. went three, two, one, put it out. No word of a lie. Same song. Well, his, his CD had three songs on yeah. it. Mine obviously just had, had the one. But Heart's Filthy Lesson, Alt Mix, was on his. Oh, was, and so at the end of that, he said, listen, you obviously really know what I like. And I played him this. That's right. He said, you obviously know what I like. So here's my email address. If, and please like, hook me up. You played me some great new music. So keep me hooked up. So I, I sent him a tune by this band from Leeds that I, that I really love called The Officers. And uh, he loved it so much that he ended up taking them on tour. And then later on, I thought, oh, I'd really love to send him Azan, the new mix of Azan that Losers did. Which is your band, right? And sorry, which is your band? Yeah, Losers yeah. is the band that I'm in with uh, Tom from the Cooper Temple Claws and uh, Paul from your code name is Milo, and the Automatic, and uh, it's, we're based in Berlin. But but anyway, so uh, we we done this song that I was, we were all really really uh, uh, thrilled and excited by, um, and Jem Godfrey, if you're listening, thank you for making it uh, absolutely incredible. And uh, I sent it to Gary, just thinking that he, would, he might like it. And normally I'd send Gary something, and he's a man of few words. You know, he'd just go, thanks. Thanks, Eddie. Like that, you know, that would mm -hmm. be the, probably the most that I... And it, it might take a week or two or three or four yeah. to get that response. Certainly with everything else that I'd sent him. But within f five minutes of sending him that track, I had this email, just bing, Gary Newman said something like, holy shit, Eddie, this is incredible. This is like the best thing I've heard for years. Hang on, hang on, I'm gonna go and listen to it again. And then five minutes later, an even more splurgy and ecstatic email. Yeah. And then I've gotta go and listen to it again. And then 10 minutes, 20 minutes later, a, a paragraph about why aren't you playing stadiums and why, what the hell's going on? Yeah. So it turns out that he, you know, he absolutely, he went completely like bananas about this song. And then he spent the next year being interviewed by All and Sundry. I heard him on Six Music saying, yeah, Losers are the best band in the world. And we went on, and he took us on tour with him. 2013. Amazing. In 2013, in my really dark year um, that I've covered in, uh, in, in distraction pieces with, with Pip, I went on tour with Gary Newman. And... Uh, He's just the loveliest guy. You know, we, we, we ended up then, he, he came on my show again and uh, played me his new record. I'd heard some demos and bits and bobs from him and obviously talked to him a lot mm -hmm. about, about his new record then, uh, which was uh, Splinter, Songs from a Broken Mind. We kind of became depression buddies and... Um, I knew he'd been really suffering and he, knew, he certainly knew that I had. And when he, he, when he came on my show, there was this moment when I said to him, uh, when you had a blank sh page for this record, like you had this idea and I know that, that you wanted it to be really brutal and really incessant and quite high tempo. So what happened? Because this clearly isn't that. 
And uh, the, the only time that I've been completely, totally and utterly stuck for words on radio, gibbering, was when he said, you happened. When you sent me that song, I, it just changed the way that I approached this record. And you said something to me about a silent scream is much more powerful than an actual loud scream. And it made me rethink the record and I ditched a few songs and I replaced them. Get, replaced them. Can't, can't you hear, Eddie? I've ripped you off <laughs> in the nicest way or something like that. And, you know, I, I, it, it took me a while to process that because when you're, you know, when you're ap one of your absolute heroes tells he was, you that he you've influenced them. on your wall. That, yeah, yeah. When, when they tell you, say that you and your, some of your best friends have, have influenced them, that's a really... Uh, that's a really powerful thing. I could put that on my, on my gravestone. I could have died happy at, 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 that, uh, at that moment. But then, uh, then he, played me, he played me this song uh, from the record. Uh, I think it's called Lost. That was just, and he, and he told me the story about having an argument, a terrible argument with Gemma, his amazing wife, who was in the room at the time, who was managing him now. And uh, he said that he'd had a, a, a terrible, terrible row, and he, they were both really depressed. And uh, he wanted to kill himself, but rather than killing himself, he just went down to the piano and he wrote this song. And we listened to it, and with that in mind, and with him and Gemma there, I just, not on mic, but off mic, just burst into, well, not burst into tears, but just tears started streaming down mm -hmm. my face, you know, with the emotion of it all. And Gemma was overwhelmed and, and she just came over and she gave me a massive hug and she said, uh, you know, you really, you really get us. Um, look, here's, a, here's uh, my number and here's Gary's number and here's our home number. And if you ever feel bad, like just like give us a call and, and come stay with us. And, and, and they were just so, so supportive in a really, really uh, uh, horrible time for me. Um, so, so yeah, gosh, that's the, that's the full Gary Newman story, really. That. Well, I mean, the, it's a good opportunity to talk about Trailblazers for a little bit here because Gary done yes. Trailblazers, which is a, an in incredible episode. And I think, was Gemma in the room for that as well? Uh, yeah, she would have. Uh, oh, no, actually, no, Gemma wasn't. Oh, hang on. Was she? I think no, she no, was. She, uh, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. Because yeah, she was certainly for, for everything else that we've done. Because I'm quite sure that you said around that point there, there was a time when you was low in the early hours, and the only person that was up was Gemma. Yeah, that's and, right. And yeah, so yeah, you she, called yeah. her up. And, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Yeah, I did, a, I did an interview for a, for a mental health organization telling this story. But yeah, she's, she's my wingman. You know, yeah. there was this like hashtag wingman campaign. Who's your wingman? Sure. For, for men like, that would normally have a, a man friend that, yeah. that, that, that really helped them and mm. that saved them. And uh, when I was approached, I said, can my wingman be a woman? And they went, well, nobody else has done that, but like... Yeah, sure. Why not? You know, and, and and I said, it's Gary Newman's wife. <laughs> and I went, oh my god, yeah, that's, that'd be amazing for us because, yeah. like, you know, they wanted they wanted yeah. uh, bums on seats. And so, yeah, I, I told that story uh, very, very, uh, um, you know, openly and honestly in that in that particular thing. So I won't go over it again. But yeah, she she basically saved my life, you know, because she was up when all my other when my insomniac, depressed buddies were all expired as sure. asleep at 5am and I was still awake for the third day in a row, fourth day in a row. 
um, Gemma was there, you know, because she would be, it would be the yeah. eight o'clock or nine o'clock or whatever it was in, yeah. in, in the in the evening. And she would have just put her kids to bed. Yeah. So um, she was there for me. Absolutely. Amazing. She's, you know, Gem by name and Gem by nature. Absolutely amazing. Incredible couple. I, I, I love them so much. And they're, they're a real, they're a real paragon of, yeah. of couples, you know. And, 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 and that friendship really does come across on that episode of Trailblazers as well. It's, uh... Well, yeah, it, it turns out that, that, um, that, I, that I, you know, Gary, I say Gary had helped me, but, you know, Gemma says that I helped him too, that, that just, you know, you'll have noticed that I'm very open uh, yeah. and a very open person. And, and he was a very closed person. And then just interacting with me, I think, yeah. uh, showed him another way. Yeah. So I, yeah. didn't, I, didn't, I didn't teach him anything. I just, it was just the relationship that, you, you know, when you have a relationship with someone, you, you learn from them sure. without them teaching you anything. You just absorb, don't you? And, uh, and I've, he's certainly, I've absorbed so much from him. And, you know, like he, 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 I, over the years, just as, a, as an icon. Um, but it's just amazing that we became friends. And uh, I'm very... Uh, I'm incredibly fond of of, uh, of all of them. I, I, I have there's a special place in my heart for all of the, all of the Newman family. Fantastic. Well, before we move on, I just want to sort of talk about school. And you, 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 you I mean, obviously, you've, you've already painted a quite unpleasant picture of of, of boarding school. Yeah, um, yeah, it's, it 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 was how you imagined it yeah. to be. But, but what I'm also quite interested in is is you've aligned yourself with somebody who we now know is a very creative person because he's then spent the rest of his life producing music and, and, and engineering music. Um, but was, because you're clearly a very creative person, um, was that encouraged at school? Like, they're, they're, them kind of passions that obviously, you know, you're saying that you had a, a huge thirst for music, which obviously you, you just wanted to spend endless hours chatting to, to, to your friend Andy about music and, and 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 learning about what you know what was happening in music and and him influencing you obviously as as older brothers and sisters and older friends do as you're growing up you know you, you mentioned them two years between you and that is a hell of a lot yeah and and then 13 to 15 can be formative years for for developing your tastes in music and and find, and, and and finding out what you want to do in life and was that creative thing supported at school and encouraged that's uh, that's a very interesting question. Um, so this is more than college that we're talking about, and um, certainly for other contemporaries of mine who were in other houses, there were I think ten or eleven houses uh, full of boys, you know, with a few, I guess, a hundred or so in each one. I don't know. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, you know, you, and you have a housemaster in charge of each one, and it was just a lottery. You know, there were there were other houses that had housemasters that would really uh, support people and and prepare them for life in a in a proper and appropriate way but i had a uh, this man who was a born again christian who literally thought i was the antichrist and and wanted to uh why was you disruptive eddie no just because of the records that i loved and you know like he he just i, I mean he he was a stickler for the rules and uh I, you know he kept catching me smoking and um a vice that I used to have, and uh, and rather than dealing rather than dealing uh, with with the addiction of of tobacco, he used to just punish me, mm. and so I spent the whole time just gated, which means um, you know you're not allowed to go outside the school grounds. Spent most of you know three most of the three years in in that position, but uh, he he actively sabotaged my creative journey, 
and I would have had a very different life, I think, had uh, had had he not done that. But it, so it was, That's it was actively. Really. Well, it was yeah. It, 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 I mean, not only just just on a on a little level, just confiscating my records, confiscating my posters, confiscating pictures, and confiscating and, the things that meant a lot. Yeah, yeah, but but. Um, but then the the really profound effect that he had was um, was barring me from going to art college. I wanted to go to St Martin's or the Royal College of Art, but of course he wanted to get a tick in the box, and he wasn't going to get you know it was all a self serving thing for for him, and uh, maybe for other people in that establishment. They weren't really interested in our education, more in. The, the, the fees that future people would pay and the, the reputation that they have and how many people they get to university. So he made a deal with my dad um, to prevent me from going to art college. So I, you know, I, when, it, when it came to the UCO, UCAS or whatever it's called, um, I said, I'm going to art college. And, they, and he said, no, no, you're not. And I said, well, you can't stop me from going to art college. I can do what I want. And he goes, no, talk to your father and you're not allowed to go to art college. You have to go to university. Um, so how did that impact on you, Eddie? Uh, negatively, <laughs> uh, well, I, you know, I, the, the, the punchline to that story is that I, I uh, got to my number one choice, which was Westfield College, University of London, and I lasted a term and a half before I quit, and then you know, and went into nightclubs, went into like, just you know, uh, hanging around with DJs who were um, Daryl and Steve from the Boy Club at 21 Oxford Street, getting involved in that whole post-new romantic kind of goth culture. Um, and, that, that, and that's a, a whole other story. But going back to Morven, to answer your question, there were two people. Well, one person who I really want to, to single out as, as, as getting a really big thank you. And I don't know whether this man is still alive. Um, but uh, Will Denny, the art teacher, uh, in the, the, the Lindsay Art Centre, as it was called, who taught me art and history of art. And those were the things that I really excelled in. You know, I got four A-levels, uh, A, B, C, and E were my grades. And the A was for art, uh, A with honours, and, uh, and B was for history of art. I had problems with anything academic because, well, I didn't know it then, but I had severe ADHD. And uh, I never actually read a book. It, my whole through my whole school life, yeah. I started loads, but I never finished one. Yeah, and I would just find a way of skimming it. Or it was testament to that you walked out of A levels. <laughs> well, you know, I'd get the you know, I'd I'd read. I I would I, I found the hack, which was to go buy secondhand books, and they had notes in them with highlights. Perfect. Like people had previous, yeah. um, I, I had hardly any money. Yeah. You know, my, my dad was really skint at that time. And so I had to buy second-hand books anyway. So it wasn't like a malevolent hack. It was an accidental hack. I, yeah. I had to buy second-hand books because I couldn't afford new yeah. ones. And someone they had, done the work. Yeah, yeah, someone had like, written, done written little notes, which is for like, someone with ADHD, absolute joy. Trimmed off all the fat for Yeah, you. yeah, I just had all these little <laughs> tiny notes, like in the parrot. So I didn't, have to read the, I didn't have to read the books. And most of them, I, I had no interest in them anyway. So, you know, I, I, I kind of, I read the, I, you know, I, I absorbed the ones that I had sure. interest in, which was, which is anything to do with art or music. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, but I never studied music. I, I was completely self-taught. Uh, again, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't deal with the stodgy environment of, of uh, classical um, yeah. teaching and and learning to read music and learning scales and all of the things that um, 
lead to being a really good musician. Yeah. I was uh, more of a punk and a post-punk, and I, I just learned by... I, 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 have, I know I have a good ear. Yeah. And... Um, that, that was that was proven in a in a in an exam. We did this. There was a music appreciation exam that we did at, at school, and apparently I was the only person to get a hundred percent in it. And the school didn't publish the results of it because it was too embarrassing. Because really? I, I beat all the scholars and all the music. I beat all the music guys. <laughs> 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 Thank you, Terence Wincott, for that uh, inside information. My English teacher. Super. Uh, no, so I know I've got a good ear. So I I taught myself by just uh, copying. I just had records, yeah. loads of records. Well, as many records as I could afford. I spent every bit of money on, on records and um, a pocket money that I had uh, or anything that I made. And uh, uh, um, I'm going to have to do an edit here. I've completely lost. That's fine. That's because you've, you've <laughs> literally queued us up perfectly there, Ed, because the, 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 the next track is the first record you purchased. So you've been talking ah. about spending all your money on records. So what was the very first one? Yeah, now... There was some, oh, there was some doubt on this one. There was. Um, I thought it might be, uh, I thought it might be Roxanne by the Police. Um, now I, I'm slightly hazy. What did what? what you did, initially sent me Roxanne by the Police. And then and then I've uh, and then what did I rewind it to? I, the, the Beatles I, help. I, oh, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. I thought I think it was more wishful thinking. I thought it was um, Roxanne by the Police on blue vinyl. Um, and then I thought. It was Rattus Norvegicus by The Stranglers, um, which I recall as being the first album that I bought with my own money. Because my mum had bought me some albums of, you know, when you're in the queue, uh, before shops realised that um, you could make more money by putting sweets by the checkout. They had a carousel of Pickwick records yep. by the checkout of the Hereford Freezer Centre. So... Um, what was Pickwick Records? Pickwick Records. They were just. There was this label, this sort of like compilation, or this label of like. Maybe they had an orchestra that that played songs that people know, right? And so they they avoided the the um, the master side yeah. royalties by right. doing new versions, like them top the pops albums. Yeah, yeah, cover yeah. versions. So I had um, I had a, an album of Elvis in Las Vegas, and uh, but the one that I loved the most was um, I think Pickwick Records. Uh, big biggest movie themes of all time. Yeah. Um, so so I was really thinking about this question. What was the first record? And I wanted it to be Roxanne by the Police on blue vinyl. And because I, I wanted to go on this rant about how amazing Stuart Copeland is as a drummer. Let's talk and, about that because I'd love to talk about that. <laughs> well, so we, okay. Well, so we yeah, because that's <laughs> the story really. Because he, Help was just like I I needed music but I didn't know anything about music mm. and I was only 12 or something yeah and or 11 no 11 yeah I was 11 because by 12 I already knew what I knew what was going on like yeah. I, I I saw Van Halen when I was 12 my yeah. first first band I ever saw so I, and I and I already loved Van Halen when I was 12 so this must have been 10 or 11 and there was no music in my house in our in my parents house my my mum and my my dad didn't consume music at all. So I, um, I, I just needed some music. And so I just went into the shop and I just remember hearing help, I guess, on the radio and around, you know, piped in mm -hmm. maybe lifts or, you know, in, in, in shops and stuff. And it had a, such a strong hook. 
and melody. And I, I remember seeing like footage of the Beatles. Like I, I, I was I was born the year of Beatlemania mm. and '65. So when I started to become sentient, I guess they were they were they were getting close to splitting up. But they were all you know they were on the news and a lot and stuff. So I just bought Help by the Beatles yeah. as, as a 45 single, and that was the only record I owned, and I just played it again and again and did that thing. You just play it again and again and again and again. But then a few years later, when I was at school, this friend had Roxanne on blue vinyl, and I was really, really jealous. And I saved up all my money, and I went to get it. And I just was blown away by that band, and I bought... Outlandos d'Amour eventually and, 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 and Regatta de Blanc and whatever that fifth, the, the, the third police album was. I absolutely loved them. And, and, and looking back on it now, it's the drums that I love the most. And, and now as a producer I, and, and as a player, I think to those records and we play, quite, we play quite a few police songs on Virgin Radio. And I could happily, I mean, respect to, to Sting perhaps not as a human being, but as a bass player. Yeah. Um, as a bass player, he's faultless. He's amazing. He's an incredible bass player, really underrated. You know, sometimes it's the air that he leaves between the notes that is mind-blowing. And, and Andy Summers... was incredible. Yeah, well. yeah, he's an, incre- he's an incredible singer, like, you know, pushing past his personality. Like, he, he's, an, he's, he's an astonishing mm. front man. And, you know, th- those three per- peroxide blonde... Um, they looked so cold in yeah they? they were the dog's bollocks yeah and but now and, and Andy Summers it, um, mm. y- y- you know such a skillful and and stylish and reliable session guitar player well if we're going to talk if we're going to talk intros the, the intro to uh, Message in a Bottle that guitar line yep and that's uh, uh, yeah. so many so walking in the moon walking yeah. on the moon like the, you know Roxanne there are so many great intros it, to those. incidentally when Josh Weller done this podcast he chose for his greatest ever intro help yeah. oh right okay yeah 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 that, yeah that is a great well you know that's songwriter songwriting book you know yeah but um, I would I could happily listen to, I mean if, if I just listened to the isolated vocal of a police album yeah I would get bored after a while Completely. If if I listened to the isolated guitar, it would be entertaining. But I, I guess after a while, I would I would, you know, maybe lose interest. But the isolated drum parts for a police record, I could happily listen to, just those. There, there. He puts so much emotion and, and so much playing and so much skill and dexterity in everything that he does. Hi hat, snare, rim shot. Tom, symbols, his symbol work is, is, so is second to none. This, this was what I was going to say. For people that, uh, you know, obviously I imagine everybody that listens to this podcast will be aware of who the police are and, and their records. But next time you listen, if you haven't already, just listen to the cymbals and the hi-hats because yeah. they're being played as a separate instrument from the rest of the drums. It's, yeah. it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Him and Phil Collins are my two favourite hi-hat guys. Mm. I think they both... Uh, and when Phil Collins leads us back to Tears for Fears, to mm. Woman in Chains. Which he has, played drums think, on Woman in Chains, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he did. And that, that was one of the greatest drum takes of all time for me. Mm. It's, it's, it's up there almost with Steve Gadd and Asia, Steely Dan's Asia. And yeah. that incredible uh, Steve Gadd, not just laying a groove, but digging a trench. And uh, so, but yeah, police, you know, Stuart Copeland, I think he's God. I think he's the greatest drummer. For me, he's the most balanced drummer ever because he can play reggae. Yeah. He can play punk yeah and he can play rock and he can play dance and he can play anything yeah you know and and those 
reggae patterns. Like, reggae, you know, you have to unthink your yeah. whole way that you think about 4-4 music. Imagine having to, to do all of that and be in a band with Sting. <laughs> That's not well, easy, is it? Yeah, oh God, I'd love to listen to a, I'd love to listen to a podcast with 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 Stuart. Like, and uh, you know, if if he, it'd be amazing if he pulled no punches yeah. and actually just uh, said it like it is. Cause, and because you, you see, you read things and, yeah. and you see things, and you no one ever gets the full story, do they? Yeah, God, well, you know, was, there would have been some punch ups there, I know. Yeah, the the full story rarely happens because most people have an agenda and they have some. I think I have lawyers as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's that. There's fear of litigation, of course. But, um, but, but, uh, I mean, we're on a tangent. But um, the the most honest biography that I ever read was Anthony Kiedis, actually, from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, with scar tissue. Yeah. yeah, he didn't pull any punches in that. No, in he that really book. didn't. What? I mean, his his dad was quite some character, wasn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Gosh, dark. Yeah. Dark stuff yeah. for a very young man as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So him and, and, and Steve McQueen had a similar kind of uh, upbringing, you know, abusive upbringing in that in that, that regard. But yeah, yeah, he didn't pull any punches at all. I thought that was so uh, so honest. You know, if I ever write an autobiography, it would have that level of honesty. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've been going for just about to hit the hour mark, so I'm gonna press pause, change the batteries, and then we'll, uh, we'll do the last three songs as, as a part two. <laughs> I've worn out your battery still, I'm sorry. <laughs> God, I just never shut up. Mate, it's always a pleasure. <laughs> there you go, that's the end of part one. I had a feeling when we started chatting that this was going to be longer than a one-parter because we, was, we just went in on it. And, and, and I knew that we both obviously share a love of music and, and these these conversations were going to pinball around all over the place, which they done. And and that doesn't bother me. I encourage it. If we can go off tangent because we're talking about something that the guest is passionate about, then I want to I want to hear it and, and hopefully you guys do as well. So um that's all I've got to say. So head over now because part two's out as well. Go and listen and please enjoy part two in a second. Oh yeah. Sorry, I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast, and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's... Interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, um, there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes, so if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Make stew with him.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.